0: Morning. Whoa. I think I'm on. Oh, there I go. All right. Good morning again. Glad to see you here this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to continue the message series that we've called Identity. It's a brilliant title because it's about identity. <laughs> um, we, we can have an accurate picture of our identity or a skewed version of our identity in Christ. And our goal in this series is to gain a crystal clear picture, as much as possible, of who we are as Christ followers so we can live the life God promises us. This is closely tied to living the best life we can possibly live. If, if we develop a self-concept out of a skewed understanding of our identity, we live less of the life that God intends for us to live. Our working definition of identity is uh, who I am at the core of of my being. This this is what it, it is to have identity. And knowing who you are is crucial for the kind of life that you experience, especially if... If you've decided to follow Christ, there is a treasure trove of uh, understanding that we can gain from the scripture of the way that God views us, the way he looks at us, and how that impacts our identity and the way that we live. Here's a quick series review. The first week we looked at a new view of me, uh, how design is a crucial part of our identity. God made us, he put us into our family, he made us part of a, a specific tribe and race. And the interesting thing is, that, that doesn't go away in heaven. I mean, we're we're looking at passages that are going to show, as a follower of Christ, we're a part of a new race of people, God's people. Um, but the the tribe, the race, the people that God put you in when you were born is important because... In heaven, every tribe and every tongue, every nation is going to be praising him. So those are all, that's a part of your identity. He put us here. He he plops us into a region of the world that impacts the way we see ourselves. None of this is an accident. This is all part of what makes us who we are. However, when you decide to follow Christ, he gives you a new prime identity and you must grow into that. You must grow to understand this new identity and keep it in focus as you live your life. That's what we're trying to accomplish in in this series. So week two, that was week one. Week two, the never-fading inheritance. Last week, we looked at how God has made the impossible possible. We can be born again. And we're born into a spiritual family and promised an inheritance in eternity. So we're born into a family and we're heirs of royalty then. And we're promised an inheritance in eternity that strengthens us in our trials today. If we learn to live by faith, if we learn to apply our faith in God to the trials we're dealing with. If you missed any of these messages, you'd like to hear them, you can find them online at churchofvalley.com, or uh, you could subscribe to our podcast, it's different places. The passage that we're digging into today, it's aimed at putting the truth that we've looked at these first two weeks into practice. the The verse we're going to start with today, 113, says, It starts with the word, therefore. Now, I was taught, whenever you're reading or studying the Bible, when the word, therefore, is in the passage, you need to look to figure out what it's there for. (laughs) That's brilliant, isn't it? But the idea is, here's the pattern in Scripture. There will be a section of truth that gives perspective that we need to hold on to, Followed by, here's what we do because of this truth that puts life into perspective. So this is, this is the pattern. So we're at this place in 1 Peter 1 where he's starting to say, so this is what this means. Because of who you are as a Christ follower, this is what you do. Because of who we are, a Christ follower, lives differently and loves deeply that's that's the crux of what we're going to look at today if, if you aren't yet a Christ follower today's message I hope will help you identify some changes that Jesus would make in you if you did decide to follow some things he would do so let's dig in first of all a Christ followers identity leads them to live differently in the Bible. A Christ followers said to need to our goal, our call, really our call at the core of our being is to be holy. And that's that's the word that's used to describe living differently. Most often to be holy. I had a friend a uh, long time ago. And he would meet someone that he thought was weird or he would be talking about somebody he thought was weird. And he would say, they're a little different. And I noticed after a while he would always say, you know, they're a little different. And, you know, I kind of got what he meant. But at one point I said, you know, bro, all of us are a little different. (laughs) Because I was coming to the realization, hey, I'm weird, okay? Okay. I'm a little weird, bro. Um, What you find in today's passage is that we're called to be holy. That doesn't mean weird. But we're all called to be different in the same way. And we're going to look at that. This is to be a mark, an indicator, evidence of a follower of Christ is that we're aiming to be holy. Let's see what it says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient Christians, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. It sounds a little otherworldly. Therefore, you shall be holy, for I am holy. There are five commands given in this passage that we must choose if we're to grow toward being holy. And you may not even want to be holy right now. That may not be something you wake up in the morning and think, I, you know, I want to be holy today. It's probably not on your mind, but it's, it's a core part of who we are in Christ. And it's an important thing to move toward. And so I'm going to look at these five commands that show us how to live differently. The first one is prepare your minds for action. If we want to live differently, we have to prepare our minds for a fight to control what we think about. Our minds have a pull. They have a pull like gravity toward negative and destructive thoughts, harmful thoughts. They tend to show up in words and actions. But we've got this pull in our minds like gravity that pulls us downward. And a sign of spiritual maturity, a sign that we're growing toward holiness to be more like God is that we learn to take control of our mind and focus on the truth. Often a thought will attack me. You faker. I don't know if you ever had that. You faker. You say you're a Christian and you're, you're a pastor. And, and you think like that? You say things like that? With, when this thought attacks, I, I need to replace that thought with the truth. You know what? I'm not faking anything. I'm honest before God about my faults, my wrong, my sin. I'm, I'm not a faker, but it's by the goodness and grace of God that I'm a Christian, that I have eternal life. It's not anything in me that's good. It's not my own goodness. It's the grace of God that makes me who I am. So I, I fight that with the truth. Romans five eight says, and it's not on the... Screen, But it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a tremendous statement of the worth of human beings before God. That he, even though we're sinners, we're running the other direction away from him. He died for us. He loves us. So I don't have to absorb the attack. I can repel it. I can get rid of it. One translation of this passage says, gird up the loins of your mind. Sorry, that's the King James Version, so it's, you know, foreign language almost. Um, Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, roll up your sleeves and get ready for a fight. Because we're going to have to, Ask God to lead us and help us control our mind and prepare our minds for action. That's the idea here. Second command, in order to live differently, is to be sober-minded. The opposite of a sober mind is a drunken mind. When someone's drunk, they're not in control of it and their thinking is impaired. For all of us, There are certain thoughts that begin to make us a little tipsy if we dwell on them. Worry and fear, envy, comparison, jealousy, anger, malice, greed, discontent. These kinds of thoughts, they can overtake us and lead us to impaired thinking. And we begin to lose sight of who we are in Christ and what God wants for us. For example, um, envy leads to discontent a complaint against our maker. And if we're not care- careful, we can get into envy over all kinds of stuff. Like I've, I have struggled early on with, um, I, I struggle with it at times, I'm sure, but uh, earlier on when I was younger, I particularly struggled with seeing a person, their ability, their talents, their gifts, and, you know, just being a little frustrated with who I am. Just... I don't quite measure up to them, you know, their intellectual ability or whatever it is. You know what? Victory comes when when you're thinking like that. Victory comes by accepting who God made me to be, and learning to serve others according to my gifts, how He's wired me. Romans twelve three says, "For by the grace given to me, I bid everyone among you not to think of himself more highly." than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned them. That goes both ways. We don't want to think too high, but we don't also want to think too low. We want to, we want to appreciate. If I learn to appreciate the way God has wired me and gifted me and given me abilities in this life, I'm gonna I'm gonna do better than if I'm just constantly frustrated about that. So this is, this is all a part of design. God's made me who I am, and I can appreciate that. The third command in this passage is to set your hope on God's grace. It's interesting. I, I read a devotion this morning, and it, it, he pointed out in the devotion that uh, hope is sort of like the stars. They shine against the dark sky. And that's, that's, that's how it is with, with hope. It shines when you're in the middle of trouble and you're, you're just, you, you can't really see what's going on. That's when hope really shines. And so we set our hope, this passage says, on God's grace. When I'm under pressure in the middle of trials and trouble, I need to remember who I am. And how I've become who I am in Christ. It's through no effort of mine that I've been born again. Not the first time or the second time. That's true. Jesus has done all the work so that I could be born again into God's family. So I could be forgiven and have the eternal life that he promised. If I try to change to live differently through my own effort, epic fail. Epic fail. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to work. When I, when I do this, when I try to change through my own effort, I'm setting my hope on myself or a book I read or a plan that I found or whatever it is. This is a very counterintuitive truth in the Bible that you find. God changes us not as we do all we can to muster up the strength to change. He changes us as we surrender to him and learn to cooperate with him and keep in step with his Holy Spirit. Very different tact than our normal native reflex there. The fourth command is to live differently is to, to not conform. Do not conform, it says. Specifically, we should not conform to the ways of our former ignorance. In other words, expect to be different. Expect to be different than we were. Expect to be different than the people around us. Before we were born again into God's family, we had to depend on our own resources for the strength to prosper and to say no to de- destructive patterns. But but now we can soak up the truth about our identity and learn to live in line with it. We're elect exiles. The first week we looked at that. It's a two-word sermon in that phrase. We're elect exiles. Exiles. That's TV show. Sorry. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Okay, sorry, I'm just I'm trying to reel my mind in as we speak. Just stay on stay on track. We're elect exiles. In other words, we're chosen by God and we're temporary residents in a foreign land. So we understand that as we handle life and things. We're 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 not here. The trouble we're not here forever. The trouble won't last forever. I won't have this opportunity forever. To make this kind of difference in the lives of the people around me, I'm I'm only here for for a short amount of time. As a son or daughter of the living God, we want to please Him and represent His name well. Final command is to be holy. Holiness isn't a word that we use much today. Uh, A holy Joe. I've never wanted to be a holy Joe. I don't know about you, but uh, holy Joe is holier than thou looks down on people, and uh, puts, puts them down in his mind and in his words. The word has a negative com- connotation for some, be holy or holiness. You don't hear people say, I, I just want to be holy in everyday conversation. But the word holy is an important one in the life of a Christ follower, and it has many facets to it. It's a very rich word in both the Hebrew and the Greek that it's written in in the scripture. But basically, it means to be set apart for God's purpose. And it also has this facet of being pure. So there's this purity. If you're whole, you're, you're holy, you're pure. And the idea is you're unmi- your motives aren't mixed. You, you have, you have this, this one, you're set apart, your goal is to please God, and you're set apart and you're living for his purpose. That's what it means to be holy. One of, one of God's major goals for our life is to live differently so we can draw others to follow him as well. This is what he wants. To live this way, I have to refuse to conform to the standards of the world at large and stay locked on to who God has made me to be and how he wants me to live the the word holy can conjure up images of judgment in our minds today but the holiness that flows from the heart of God is mixed perfectly with love he he has he also has a holy love it's it's a pure love that's unmixed by uh, wrong motives or any selfish motive at all, God wants us to be holy. He wants us to love people that way. He wants us to set ourselves apart for His purpose and for his use as as people have been born again into God's family, we live differently and we seek to love with the same kind of love he's given us now i don't I don't have time to walk through these verses. Or I'm not going to take the time. Uh, but verses 17 through 21, they remind us of the high price that was paid for our ransom. Jesus paid an incredible price, the ultimate price. He gave his life. He went through horrible shame so that we could have eternal life. That's He paid our ransom. We've been redeemed, it says, Not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's interesting. In verse 16, Peter is quoting Leviticus 11.45. He's quoting a passage in the Old Testament that's very important to uh, Israel, who who were God's people at the time. And that passage says... uh, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So, here, here's the this is what Peter has in his mind. It's interesting because Peter's writing to both Jewish Christians who would know the Old Testament and to Gentile Christians who wouldn't know the Old Testament. But he's he's very Jewish. <laughs> and so he, he keeps referring back and it gives us a lot of instruction since he's going back to those. But here here's what that passage is saying. Look, I brought you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And I did that to be your God. I did that so that you would be my people. And so what Peter is doing is he's taking that statement and he's applying it to Christ followers today. In other words, I, I redeemed you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ so that you would be my people and you would become holy before me. This, this was an epic moment in the history of Israel And the people would keep going back to that over and over and over again. All through Scripture, they refer to... I mean, there were some incredible things that happened as God delivered the Israelites from Egypt and from the slavery there. And so they would go back in their minds and they would rehearse this. They would praise God for it. Um, It was a miraculous display of God's power. And it motivated people to... to, To be like God, to be holy. This was right before God. And so Peter's basically saying here, this great act of love that Jesus has shown us should motivate you and I to be like him. To be holy. And it does. We've been rescued by the precious blood of Christ, which should motivate, please our father, who's loved us to pay the ultimate price. To cleanse us and forgive our sins. This is the price he paid to adopt us in his family. We have a changed identity in Christ that changes us. God's holiness, it's interesting, it doesn't make unreasonable demands on us. Because if if something is made, it's right that whatever is made does what the maker wants it to do. But we haven't. We have not done what the Maker wants us to do. We've gone our own way. That's what Scripture tells us. We've lived independent of God. We've been made by Him. It would be right for us to do what He made us to do, but we don't, and we haven't. None of us have done our Maker's will, but He's revealed the ultimate love toward us by meeting these demands of justice at the cross. He, he died on the cross. To meet the demands of justice. If we follow his lead, as we become holy, we're not going to put ourselves above people, but we're going to stoop to serve. We're going to put ourselves below them and serve. We, we show the same kind of love that God has shown us. So, second, Christ's followers' identity leads them to love deeply. Check out 1 Peter 1 22. "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart, from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God." So in these verses, Peter shows us how to love deeply. First of all, invest time with one another. There are certain aspects of love here there are two words for love that are instructive for us show us how to love deeply Um, the first one it says we've been purified for obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love that that word is philia same same word philadelphia comes from the city of brotherly love and it's it's a brotherly affection, sort of a familial type of love. Once you've been born again into God's family, there, there's an affection for other brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in, we're in the family together. And to, uh, an alternate spelling for the word love is T-I-M-E, time. That's how you show love to people. Peter reminds us that we need to take time for one another, to be involved in community of people. Uh, this is what G, uh, Peter experienced with Christ. He spent three years, basically, spending all kinds of time with him. And that, that he, Jesus, often showed his, his love and kindness for him. And there grew a bond it's important for us to spend enough time with people in the church community so we can develop this this familial affection and it's there god gives it to us he he it says he purified us to be obedient and to show this kind of sincere love for our brothers it's there but um we have to, sometimes we get off track and we have to keep choosing it. God uses friendships in the church community to strengthen us and to spur us on to love others and do good. I'm, I'm always challenged by the examples around me. Some time back, I noticed that a friend I really respect, every time we were in a room full of people, he wouldn't go to the most important people in the room, but he'd he'd go to the people who didn't seem to be uh, have anybody to talk to, people who weren't necessarily noticed. And I, that really challenged me. I'm like, I, I like to talk to the the fun people, the important people, the whoever, you know, the life of the party. But I, I started I started following his example. That that's a great example to me. If I don't invest time to get to know others in the church community, I miss out on the help God gives me to change through it, to be different, to love differently. The second way we're told to love, that's philia, that's philia love, brotherly love. The second way is agape love. It's a deeper sacrificial love. And that means we should sacrifice and stretch for one another. Um... It says we should love one another deeply. That word love in that phrase is agape. You go out of your way and you pay a price to show this kind of love. And we love this way because God loved us this way. We're born again because of this love. Because Jesus was willing to sacrifice and go to the cross for us. It, And if I think someone's unlovable, if I just get put out with them and irritated and just done, frustrated, and I think they're unlovable, I need to remember how much I've offended God. I've completely offended God. It's right for me to obey God, but I haven't. I've offended Him, and I've taken His love and forgiveness for granted by this attitude. I've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. He paid a high price for me. and That shows my worth and strengthens my identity in him. Who, who are we to withhold love and kindness to people when God so generously poured out his love on us? A major way we're called to be holy or set apart for God's purpose is to show others a different kind of love. We're to live differently, but we're also to love deeply and show a different kind of love. Agape love does what's best for others regardless of feelings. We may not feel like it, but we do what's best. It doesn't always mean it's what they want, but it's what's best. How would this radically change your family life? your workplace or your friendships, if everybody, regardless of how they feel, they they look to the interests of the other persons around and they did what's best. What if you began to set the pace in this kind of love? That would be different. That's living differently. And this is the holiness that God's called us to live out The passage says to love deeply. The word deeply literally means earnestly or, in other words, just to give everything you've got in this love. It involves sacrifice and a stretch. Athletes stretch to reach the goal. Here's a couple images from the Winter Olympics. Here's a ski jumper. Um, That's a stretch right there, trying to get everything they can out of that jump. Here's one of my favorite sports, curling. You got it. I like, I must like that because I think I could pull that off. You know, I'm not sure. I'm sure the rock's heavier than it looks, but you know, there's a stretch. Try to get it out there. That's what it goes. There's a stretch. They're giving maximum effort to reach the goal. That's the idea here in this passage. God's given his Christ, given Christ followers a command to stretch and sacrifice for one another. We're to extend ourselves to serve and care for one another here in church life and beyond. To, to love like this, I must make it a priority to serve people around me. I, I, need, I need to go out of my way to help, to pray, to check back. This takes extra effort. We're, we're moving right now. And, you know, several people came over to help us start packing yesterday. I really appreciate that. That's, that's a sacrifice. You give up your time to come over and pack and, and help us in the midst of, you know, all that's going on. That's, that's love. That's love in a practical way. Love means time, money, listening, serving, helping move. <laughs> and I'm not pitching that, you, you know, I'm not really trying to recruit. Um, A third way to love deeply is to love without strings attached. Peter's saying this is how you'll be different. You don't only love when it's convenient to buy stock in other people so they'll do what you want when you need them to. You don't love people just because they guilt you into it. My my own reaction when I feel like somebody's trying to guilt me into doing something is to have nothing to do with whatever it is they want me to do. I, I But at that point, then I have to ask God, Okay, God, is this right? If it's right, I need to do it, whether they're guilting me or not. Jesus paid a high price for me. He gave his life so that I could have life, so I could have eternal life. And when I'm guilted by others, I can go back and ask God to show me how to do what's right. And if it's not not from the heart, if I'm doing it for some other reason than I generally comes from my heart, that's not, that's cheap. That's a cheap love. We get ourselves into trouble that way. And our relationships become plastic. Need to be real. When you choose to be holy, your life will not have the same cadence. It will change. To do this, I have to keep fighting my pride. Can't ever stop fighting my pride. People will matter over things. I will put them above myself. My schedule is going to get complicated by the needs of others. As I sacrifice and stretch for them. This is the idea. Earnestly, deeply, from the heart, I love the people around me. Even when I have no idea how it's going to work out, I do this. I stretch. I live differently and I love deeply because all of what God has done for me to love and because he is holy himself as the worship team comes back on stage i'd like to look at taking some next steps and here are some specific ones i've suggested Uh, the first one's fill in the blank one way i must live differently is you can fill in the blank for yourself um do you need to prepare your mind as i walk through the passage did God speak to you about that? Prepare your mind, roll up your sleeves for action, get ready. Do you need to refuse to conform or invest time in church community or love by meeting a need? Uh, that's that's the first step, just some ideas to think through. One way I must live differently is maybe it's to love deeply. Maybe I haven't really been trying to love the people around me. Um, the second step is to read 1 Peter 2. We're shifting End of the next chapter, beginning next week. Uh, read First Peter 2 to prepare your mind for action. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word that really does set us free. Free from slavery to our sin and ourselves and the negative thoughts and the destructive patterns in our lives. Father, we... We ask for your power. I come to you and I ask that you'd strengthen us, take the steps you've laid on our heart today to take. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.